little bit befuddled as to what I'm supposed to say after Pastor Chapel told us for 60 minutes all about culture. So a lot of what I'll say will probably sound like a repetition, um, but, uh, but I think it'll be a good repetition. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, and I want you to look at verse 19. You know the verses, but I, I just want you to see them, and then we're going to come back to them a little bit later in the session. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 19. Apostle Paul, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, a choice of submission, that I might gain the more, the motivation for the choice to submit. Look at verse 20. And unto the Jews, I became as a Jew. That's interesting because Paul was a Jew. And yet... After he was saved, he said, I'm still willing to abide by some of the strictures of the Jewish culture for the purpose of winning Jews. Then it says that I might gain the Jews. So to them that are under the law, as under the law, those would be the Jews, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak. Interesting. In the Bible, who, who are the weak? We always like to think of the weak are people that are not us. It's kind of like people that over-contextualize. Those are liberal people that have gone beyond where they need to go. People that under-contextualize. Those are rigid people that are not as balanced as we are. And of course, the right context is me. That's the right context. Um, and so, here in verse 22, to the weak, the weak in the Bible... If you study Romans chapter 14, often the weak person is the one that has the, the higher standard, the stricter application, and then applies that to you. So the weaker brother in Romans 14 was the one that had the higher standard. Now I'm, I'm for having high personal standards, don't get me wrong, but not to use them as a lens by which I judge your ministry. And so, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. Sometimes I'm willing to limit the liberties I have in order to abide with you in fellowship. So, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Look at verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker thereof with you. We do what we do. For the gospel's sake. And of course the embodiment of the gospel. Is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our motivation. Ceases to become loving. Following. Emulating Jesus Christ. Then we have erred. It always comes back to motivation. It always comes back to what drives us. What drives us ought to always be. Our love for. Our desire to emulate the person of. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's pray just now, and we just have a few minutes anyway, and uh, let me give you a couple thoughts about biblical soundness always being culturally relevant. Our Father, would you bless our short time together? Lord, I pray that you would take these moments and help us to have wisdom from you. Lord, I pray that none of what I say would be misconstrued, but I pray that you would give us a a sense of spiritual maturity as preacher friends and brethren. I pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves. I pray that you'd help us to be gracious with others. And Lord, would you bless this 
short time together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your introduction there on your outline. An ongoing and often perplexing challenge for church leaders is that of understanding, engaging, and confronting the culture in which they minister. We all have that responsibility. To what degree does a church embrace culture, and in what ways should it confront it? That's, the, that's, that's why we're here. You know, in what ways do we embrace culture? In what ways do we confront culture? Do biblical examples exist? Do they? As we study the Bible, as we seek to be careful expositors of the Word of God, do biblical examples exist of people that embraced elements of culture in, in relevance and then confronted the elements of culture that so desperately needed to be confronted? Do they exist? Of course they do. So do biblical examples exist to help us navigate the swirling waters of an ever-changing and unpredictable sea of philosophies and worldviews as never before. Have you ever read the great book by Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death? How many have ever read that book, Amusing Ourselves to Death? Some of you, it's a great book, written before the Internet age. And Postman said that he believes that the, great, the invention that changed the world more than any other invention was the telegraph. I kind of recoiled at that, the telegraph. And here, here was his reasoning. He said the reason for that is because for the first time in all of human history, you could know what was happening in places around the world without being there in real time. And so we live in an age of well beyond the telegraph. We live in this, this World Wide Web Internet age where we can know what's going on around the world in real time. And so if there's ever been a generation that understands the sea of philosophies and the, the sea of worldviews that exist out there, it's our generation. Notice the, the last statement there, or question. What are the dangers of over or under contextualization? So answering these questions requires a thoughtful investigation of the following topic. So let me just give you all the blanks right now so that we can just concentrate and get that out of the way. Okay, so uh, we need to understand, first of all, a working definition of culture. We've got to have a working definition of culture. You know, unless we define our terms the same, we'll never think the same. Until we define our terms the same, we'll never have a, uh, an adult conversation about things about which we ought to be talking. And so we have, to, we, have to have a, we have to have an agreed upon definition of culture. If I just were to say culture to you today, that could mean any number of things. That's like saying contemporary. Are you contemporary? Well, what does that mean? It, it's, a, it's, a totally, uh, it, it's a totally nebulous term until you put some borders on it. So we want to put some, some definitive borders on the word culture and agree that this is what we're talking about. A lot of times I think we get out of sorts with people and we're saying the same things. We're just using different words or, or, or we're hearing the same words and we're using different definitions. That's why it's important for us to step back and, 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 and not judge each other. And, and say we love the same Jesus and we're trying to accomplish the same thing. Let's talk. Let's talk. We can talk. Let's talk about issues. It's okay. And so we have to agree on definitions. I think the first one is the definition of culture. Number two, on the back side of your sheet there, we need to have a clear understanding of relevance. What, what does that, what, when we say culturally relevant, we want to understand what the word culture means and we want to understand what the word relevant means. So what does it mean to be culturally 
relevant. And so we have to have a clear understanding of relevance, including its necessity. We all want to be relevant. We don't want to be irrelevant. And so uh, we want to understand its necessity, its distinction from the word compromise. Because sometimes people use those terms synonymously. Well, relevance, you know, uh, that's compromise. No, if we understand the definitions, I think the way we ought to understand them, I don't think it is at all. And so a clear understanding of relevance, including its necessity, its distinction for the word uh, compromise, and its application. Where? In a 21st century American model. Because that's where 98% of us in this room are. Now, some of you are missionaries, and your context will be a little bit different. And even within the American context, there's going to be a different context for culture in Newport Beach than there's going to be in Fredericksburg, Virginia, than there's going to be in southern Alabama, than there's going to be in Chicago, Illinois, to varying degrees. And so let's understand that. Uh, number three, an argument for the clear sufficiency of Scripture. And that's, that's, that's where, that, really, that's where I want to get in this short session. I want to get there. So a, an argument for the clear sufficiency of Scripture including the safest method for its application, significant Bible examples for consideration, and the implications for the preacher to understand. What does the Bible say about cultural relevancy? Is, is a fastidious approach to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, is that going to resonate with the culture in which we live? Can it? Should it? Of course, the answer to all those questions is yes. And part of this uh, session is to demonstrate why that's true. So let's talk about it. You've got your outline there. There's plenty of space for you to write some notes. Let's talk about culture. You know, what, what is culture? Let me give you a definition and, then, and tell you a little bit about the etymology of the word. And hopefully we can at least agree that this would be a good working definition for us to consider for what we're talking about today. Culture. What is culture? Culture. Culture is Shared values, beliefs, and social practices of a group, subgroup, or society in general. Let me say that again. Culture, shared values, beliefs, and social practices of a group, subgroup, or society itself. So culture is what a society agrees on is important. And you see it not only in what they're touting, but in how they're acting. Uh, the word culture originally uh, meant just the ground, to toil the ground. To culture was to till the soil. Culture. So for years, that's all it meant. That's why we get words like agriculture and horticulture. Now here's the raw material. Here's culture. And you want to, you want to do something with it. You want to make it better. You want to till the ground. You want to plant a seed. You want to water the seed. You want to see it grow. I find it ironic that Jesus talked about culture all the time. The parable of the soil is a parable about culture and the culture that we face. We face a culture in which some people are ready to receive the word of God. Some people are clouded by a world system that has, uh, that has uh, befuddled their minds and, and the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches uh, have choked that word and, and, and some are, are on that, uh, that stony ground. And So culture, isn't it ironic that when God made man, he made them to affect culture. He put two gardeners in a garden. 
to do something to culturate it. Now, that's the root word. That's what culture means. It, it wasn't until years later that we actually applied that metaphorically to other things like people. So a culture, culture in the ground, horticulture, agriculture, became culture. Like let's take uh, the raw material of a person and give him culture. He can speak grammatically correctly. He can learn something about music and the arts and learn how to dress and wear deodorant. And these are good things. That person is cultured. Right? So culture and then culture being uh, what we do with people. And then it became comprehensively a word that applied to groups of people that shared some of those values. Okay? So because not everyone shares the values of culture that you and I share. If you ever been to a third world country on public transportation, you know that not everyone uh, believes in, in, in deodorant and perfume. Not everyone does. And so every, people have different standards about uh, that type of culture. And then culture became uh, basically a comprehensive term to apply to shared values, beliefs, and social practices. And so is culture good or bad? Yes. Is culture good or bad? Yes. Why? Because man, all, all of mankind retains a vestige of the image of God. And there are some things that man does that are good. It's good that hospitals have been built. It's good that uh, potholes are repaired. It's good that, uh, uh, that people uh, feed, feed the homeless at the soup kitchen. It's good. There, there, there's much to be said that's good about cultures and even the way some cultures do things. And, and so there are certainly... There are certainly positive things in cultures, and, and there are neutral things in cultures, and there are obviously very negative things, bad and sinful things in culture. It's the Word of God that helps us to understand what about culture is good, what about culture is redeemable, what about culture is bad, what about culture needs to be repudiated, what about culture needs to be embraced. It's the Word of God that is our guide that helps us to understand all of those things. And so, obviously, clearly, there are some things about culture that ought to be repudiated. There are some things about the shared values, the shared principles, the agreed-upon social practices of Americans in a post-Christian era that must be confronted and repudiated. Obviously, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, it's not in him. All that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. He that doeth the will of God abides forever. And so we apply the rubric of what the Bible says about worldly culture. And then uh, insofar that uh, that applies to our culture, we repudiate it. I think we all agree on that. I think the problem is that somehow we, we view culture in general as wrong. And when you view culture in general as wrong, then you, your, your, your response to that erroneous assumption is wrong. It leads to isolationism. And so the response to that is, well, let's just get on an island. You know, we'll have our own little subculture that no one really understands. Every now and then we'll get on our ferry boat and we'll go over to the mainland and we'll, we'll view the natives... You know, and, and, and talk to them for a little bit, but then we'll get back on the ferry really quickly and come back to the island and breathe. And a lot of what has happened in fundamentalism over the course of the last 40, 50 years has been the development of subcultures that are not relevant 
to the world around them. Now, I'm not talking about relevance by being sinful. We're, we're agreeing that we repudiate worldly and sinful behavior. But insofar, 1 Corinthians 9, insofar that I can adopt cultural elements that are not sinful, that help me to have a foothold for the gospel, I need to be willing to be humble enough, submissive enough, willing to limit my liberty enough to be that. So if the Apostle Paul had to take a Jewish vow to do that, he would. The Apostle Paul had to limit his liberty and say, I'm not going to eat this meat. Uh, while my brother, because this offends my brother and this might cause him to want to go back into idolatrous pagan worship, I, I won't do it. He was willing to understand, to embrace his culture for the purpose of the gospel. That's an important point to be made. So, culture. Shared values, shared principles, shared practices of a group or subgroup. You know, we, what we understand in missiology, can I just talk to fellow pastors? What we understand in missiology, I think we, we misunderstand in, in ecclesiology. Yeah. Okay, what I mean by that is this. You know, I, I, think we, I think most of us understand and would agree that if a person goes to India, or if a person goes to uh, Zimbabwe, or a person goes to China, then part of what they're going to do is acclimate themselves to the neutrality of a culture, not to say, well, I'm going to India, so I'm going to you know, start being Hindu. No, but I'm going to understand that if I'm preaching in India, I'm not going to do this. Why? Because you don't do anything with your left hand in India. Well, you do one thing. So I'm going to understand. Now, I could, I could just dogmatically say, well, there's nothing in the Bible, bless God, and I'm left-handed, so I'm just going to, well, see how that works out for you. See, my point is, there is a need for us to be thoughtful. There's a need for us to be studious of. There's a need for us to understand. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, boy, uh, if, I, if I'm a pastor in India, I might not dress like this. If I'm a pastor in India, uh, uh, we might not have a service like this. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't. We'd have all the men on this side sitting on the ground. We'd have all the women on this side sitting on the ground. Is there anything wrong with that? No. So insofar that that's a cultural practice, and insofar that uh, I can limit my own liberty and say, you know, I don't prefer that, but okay, for the gospel's sake, why wouldn't I do that? So we all understand that with missiology. We understand. I, I was preaching for a friend in, in Germany some years ago, a, a, a German church. And it was a small church, maybe about 30 people were there. And when the service was over, I, 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 I said to him, I said, I think I can help you. I've been there one time. I think I can help you with getting some, some, some more people to come to church. He said, really, how? I said, well, I noticed when you greeted people that you didn't have them fill out a connection card. I mean, come on. I mean, that's axiomatic. That's one thing you do. So I, I, I said, just have them fill out a connection card. You know, and then you'll have that information. You can follow up on them. And he's just looking at me. He said, oh, I never thought of that. Then he said, are you kidding me? He said, we're in Germany. Do you know how the German people respond when you try to capture their information? 
When you try to tell them to write their information, that's the last time you'll ever see them. You know, try to go to Japan and call people by their first name. It's not going to work. Now, is there something wrong with it? No. So what we understand in missiology, we understand that. Hey, if you visit your missionary in, in, in uh, Africa, you don't expect him to look like this. You don't expect his song service to sound the exact same as yours. You don't expect for the service to have the same order of service. You don't expect that. You, as a matter of fact, you would, you would be disappointed if he tried to Americanize that field. So we get that. We understand missiology. But we just don't understand that in ecclesiology. So we just say that the United States is one place with, with no social construct at all. That there's not different... Con- Can I just tell you this? When I went to Bible college at age 17... I went to the Midwest, and the Bible college I attended had primarily the students from the, from the South. That was culture shock for me. I did, I did not go to a church where anybody said amen. I went to a college where everybody, including the women, I mean, it was just crazy. I was like, what, what, what's going on? It was so distracting to me. But that was culture. I remember the first time I went to a church, and they played bluegrass music. Is there anything wrong with bluegrass music? No. I thought I was on the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. Then I realized these people are serious. They're serious. And I've learned to come to appreciate you know, different cultures even within our country. And so, man, we'd be wise not to measure ourselves by ourselves or compare ourselves among ourselves. If Brother Ryan wants to do something in Newport Beach that's different than what I do in Fredericksburg, if, my, if our culture is more country, or, you know, I came from Western Pennsylvania, and, man, that, half the people in our church on Wednesday night wearing something that was camouflage. <laughs> it wasn't un- uncommon on, on, on a Steelers game night to see, you know, 25% of the crowd have some Steelers paraphernalia on. Try to preach to that. <laughs> the point is this. What we understand in missiology Sometimes we forget in ecclesiology. And that is that there are cultures within areas of our country. There are cultures even within churches. Now, so I travel quite a bit preaching in different churches. I've been in many of your churches. I'm not trying to come into a church and create a culture. You know, I'm going to come in and try to find out your culture. I can appreciate appreciate a church that's a hymns only, hymn book only, higher music, anthem driven. I can appreciate that. You know, I'm gonna, if, you, if your diet is all hail the power of Jesus' name, crown him with many crowns, and, and then, uh, you, know, uh, what, what, you know, some other song, and then if that's your culture, and, and you stand up, and you do a creedal statement, and hey, I'm, I'm for you. That's fine. And, and if I go in and you're doing a little bluegrass and you're doing your thing and if you have screens or no screens, if you have a, a trendy decorations or you don't have trendy, de- it doesn't make a difference to me. You know why? Those are neutral aspects of culture. They're not right or wrong. Matter of fact, we're commanded. Uh, the example of scripture is, you know, let's incorporate what we can to be relevant to a generation that already sees our truth as being offensive to them. All right? So, culture. I talked a little bit about culture. Let me talk a little bit about, still on the topic of culture, let me talk about 
you know, how we respond to culture. Then we'll get to relevance, which will take two seconds, and I'll get really to the, the heart of it. So what do we do when it comes to culture? How do we respond? I think, first of all, we need to examine our own culture. And Pastor Chapel said it so well a few moments ago, and that is, be a student of your culture. Be a student of, 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 of America, which means you need to read a little bit. You, know, you, ought to, you ought to be conversant with what's happening in our society. You ought to be conversant. Don't just watch Fox News, which is biased. It's just the bias you like. You know, watch people you disagree with. Read articles you disagree with. Read conservative magazines. Read liberal magazines. Find out where the pulse of the nation is. Be well-read. Uh, understand that so that you understand how to engage and confront. And so examine your own culture. Understand the culture of your own church. Uh, as, as believers, we have a Christian culture, or we ought to, but as fallen sinners, even within our churches, we're going to have toxicity in our culture. And so be willing to look inward at the culture of, of your church, or the culture of your family, the culture of your we need to be able to look inward as independent Baptists, as our culture. You know, the, the difficult thing about examining culture is it's almost impossible sometimes to see yourself. Because culture is not just what you think. Culture is how you think. So when I walked up to you today and gave you a little hug or, or gave you a handshake, you didn't think about how to greet. You just reached out. It's part of our culture. No one came up to me and kissed me on both sides of the face today. Thank, thank you for that. Although that's cultural in other places. So part of what is cultural to you is just the, what, what, you've, what you've learned. And, and to recognize culture sometimes, the best person to recognize it is somebody on the outside of it. You know, for years when I would preach, I would always do this. I don't know why. I, just, I, I broke my nose when I was a, when I was a teenager, and I, I, I would always do that to make sure it was still there, I guess. And, and I would do this in preaching. People would say... And that I, would, I, I had to consciously say, i got to get that out of my personal culture. Wait, there are things probably that you do in your church, things that we probably do in our movement, that so, sometimes we need to listen to people from outside to say, well, you know, why do you do that? And be willing to examine ourselves. Number two, we need, to, we need to understand that rejecting and building an island is not the answer. Amish people, I, I've, never, I've never met anyone that has this negative about Amish people. Everyone likes Amish people. We like their furniture. We like their apple butter. We think it's cute when they drive down the road with their horse and buggy. You know, we want to go to their little shop. Oh, look at this, you know. This was made by the Amish. That means it costs twice as much. You know, Amish people are respected. They're hardworking. They're honest. You know, they, they, they're simple. The only thing is, nobody wants to be Amish. And sometimes that's us. You know, we're hardworking, we're simple, we're honest, but nobody wants to be us. So building an island and, and, and rejecting culture is not the answer. Embracing it and, become, and becoming just like them is not the answer. That's total irrelevance. And so what, what, it, what, is the, what is the attitude that we have toward culture? Here it is, Ready? We find a balance by fastidiously applying Bible principles and laboriously checking our own biases. And both of those are important. We find balance by fastidiously identifying Bible principles and laboriously checking our own biases. 
We've got to look inward and say, but how in what ways am I showing bias? In what ways have I unnecessarily made myself irrelevant to the culture around me? Um, when I was, my kids were younger, we had them involved in Little League, which I, I think is a great outreach. Um, I think, it's, I think it's whatever you can do to get your kids involved strategically in activities that are going to put you around lost people under your tutelage, I think that's a great opportunity. So we did that. Well, what did we do? I mean, sometimes they would play Little League on, on you know, church night. What would you do? Well, we'd, we'd go to the Little League game. And then at 6.45, you know, we would leave the Little League game and get to church on time. Like, my boys would go to church in their Little League uniform which I thought sent the message twofold. I think it sent the message to the Little League. You know, wow, they're leaving baseball. Something must be important than baseball. Something, we loved baseball. We loved it. Something, though, must be more important than baseball. They left. You know, and then we got to church, and they're sitting in church in their baseball uniform. And so church people are like, wow, they're in their baseball uniform. They must have come right from the baseball game. Boy, church must be more, more, more important than baseball. So to me, it was a wonderful opportunity to engage culture a neutral aspect of culture, like sports, and yet to show the, priority, uh, show the priority of godly things, but to find that way. Instead of just getting on an island and saying, well, we don't do that, we're not in that, I don't know who my kids are around. Well, then know who your kids are around. Be the assistant coach. Sit on the bench. Be involved. Find a way. We have a five or six families still in our church from that one season of Little League. They're still there. Why? Because we found a way to engage a neutral aspect of culture and be there with them and among them I'll tell you a funny story. My son, uh, my oldest son, Nathaniel, was a great uh, pitcher in, in uh, Little League. Just did, did a great job. Matter of fact, he made what was called the All-Star Team, which wasn't a big deal. We were out in the country. It wasn't a, a big city league, but he did nonetheless. And we, we were to play the, the big championship All-Star game, and he was the starting pitcher. It was a Wednesday night. So the game started at, I don't know what it was, 6.15, something like that. Supposed to start at 6. It started a little bit late, and he was pitching. He pitched the first inning, struck out all three batters. We're winning. This is great. We got up, scored a run or two. Got the next inning. He struck out all three batters. Now, this is a great game. But guess what? It's 6.45 now. Starts the third inning. He's on the mound. Timeout. I walked out to the mound. Hey, buddy, it's time to go. Yes, sir. Walked off the mound, got in the car, drove to church. Oh, by the way, we lost that game that night. Ten years later, I'm sitting in my office and our insurance adjuster for our group plan, for our insurance group plan, is sitting there. His name is Kevin. Kevin talks to me about our group plan and a Catholic man that I was able to lead to the Lord. He uh, got a whole case of done books by Kerry Schmidt and he's passing them out, but he's staying in his Catholic church. I, I, I don't understand it, but anyway... So we're done with our meeting. He's leaving. He says, hey, Kurt, can I, just, can I just tell you a story? I said, sure. He said, do you remember 10 years ago? 10 years ago. Yeah, our boys were on the same Little League team. Oh, his boy was on that team. Yeah, I remember that. You know, I'll never forget that All-Star game. When you walked out to the mound and your son left the game. And I said to my wife, where's he going? She said, oh, they go to church. He said, I just want you to know, that made a bigger impact on me 
than almost anything I can tell you about. See, the point is, salt and light doesn't work unless you're engaged. We've got to find these areas in which we can say, listen, there's nothing wrong with finding those areas of engagement and bringing our going there or letting some of that culture come in that's neutral, that can help us be relevant to people that desperately need to see the difference in our lives. Culture. Okay, number two. Relevance. A clear understanding of relevance, including its necessity, its distinction from the word compromise, and its application to a New Testament model. Can we just do this? I've got eight minutes. Let's just do this. Let's, let's just agree that we're supposed to be relevant. Let's just agree that uh, we all agree that our, our message is supposed to be relevant to a lost and dying world. I'll make one statement, and I'm going to move to my most important point. Okay, here's the statement. The Bible is relevant. You don't have to make it relevant. The Bible is sufficient. It is relevant. If, you're, if your message or your approach... Your methodology is irrelevant to people. It's not the Bible's fault. It's your fault for not understanding it and applying it correctly. Because God knew before the foundation of the world that his word would be relevant for all time to every generation. So our job is to find what the Bible says, to extract it faithfully, to apply it carefully. Why? Because the Bible is relevant. And so how is biblical soundness then, how is that culturally relevant? All right, I'm going to give you, and I wanted to turn to each one of these passages, but I'm just going to give them all to you, okay? And, and you can write them down. If you want to email me, if you want to have an extended conversation about this with me, fine, you can, we, we can do that. 1 Corinthians 9, we already looked at that. Acts 15. What's Acts 15? That's the Jerusalem Council. What's the decision? The decision is, hey, we need to make a strong affirmation that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without any, without any admixture of the law of Moses. It was a repudiation of the Judaizers, but it was also an accommodation to the cultures now that were colliding. The culture of Judaism, the culture of the, the multifarious cultures of the Gentiles that were now colliding in one body, the mystery, that one body in Christ. And the answer was not to create separate islands. The answer was to accommodate the culture. And so, Jews, you need to learn to accommodate Gentile believers. And Gentile believers, you need to learn to accommodate Jews. And, and listen, we're hardwired when we come into church with our own biases. We are all hardwired with our own biases, and the answer is not to make everyone like us. The answer is to find out what is biblically, uh, to be biblically repudiated, what's to be biblically accepted, what is neutral that we can agree to disagree, that that's your preference, that's my preference, but we love each other, and we're going to be over those little things. That's what the Council of Jerusalem was all about. It was all about that, that, fact that we're hardwired with our biases and we need to learn to come together and, 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 and decide, okay, Gentiles, what is a non-negotiable? Fornication, that's a non-negotiable, don't do that. All right, and then to accommodate the fact that there's Moses being preached in every city and there's synagogues everywhere, you know, uh, you need to be aware of your dietary choices because you don't want to unnecessarily offend. And the Apostle Paul went well into that in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, Romans 14, beginning of Romans 15, he talked about that. So we're going to accommodate why? Because we're hardwired with our biases. 
Uh, Galatians chapter 2. I would put a slash there and put Acts chapter 10. Galatians 2, Acts 10. Here's the principle. Many times we are more moved by what people think and say than we are, than we would like to admit. Many times when it comes to our cultural engagement or lack of engagement, we are more moved by what people think about us or say about us than what is actually right. Okay? So when Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood into the face. Why? He was to be blamed. For before that certain had come from James, he didn't eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Sometimes really like strong people, like Peter, sometimes like really, really solid Christians like Barnabas, can be swayed by what people think. Can be insecure about the way people do it. And they were willing to unnecessarily separate on a cultural issue that had already been solved. Why? Because such is the nature of our inherent insecurities. And we do that sometimes with preacher brethren that do it a little bit differently. Not wrong, not just neutral, but they do it different. No, I'm going to withdraw and separate. But sometimes we're more moved by what people think or say than we are by what the Bible has already decided. Uh, third passage I want to give you, and this is an important one, 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Man, I wish I had time for this. 1 Peter 2. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. That's a non-negotiable. There's parts of culture that are non-negotiable. Fleshly lusts, stay away from it. When my kids were small, my boys especially, we watched the Dallas Cowboys like all good Christians do. We watched the Boston Red Sox. You know, we, 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 I, they, they liked those teams. Why? Because Dad liked those teams. We'd watch them. But every now and then when you're watching a sports game, the advertisement that comes on is not God-honoring. Every time now and then you're watching a football game and the camera doesn't go to the football player, it goes to the cheerleader. So what did we teach our boys? Did we just say, okay, no, kids, we don't have a TV in our home. We're not going to do that. We're going to go out to our island over here. Our island has no electricity. No, we just taught our boys before they, were, before they reached puberty. We taught our boys, oh, no, we don't look at that. Look away, look away, look away. You know, my, my daughter-in-law, I have two daughters-in-law, but my first daughter-in-law, she told me after she got married, she said, she said hey, Dad, let, let me tell you something I really appreciate. I said, what's that? She said, thank you for teaching Nathaniel to look away. So I didn't remove him from culture. We engaged culture and taught him discernment within it. You engage it, we're going to watch the sports game. You know, if you're looking for the island, the garden, where everything's perfect, you're not going to find it. If you did, you're going to sin in it. And so we have to learn to discern, to engage and discern. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, abstain from fleshly lusts which were against the soul, having your conversation, your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. In other words, people are looking for authenticity. And people smell when you're not real. And people intuitively know when you're being two-faced. 
They know. So the world is looking for something that's real. That's why when they come to your church, treat them well. But, but if I come to your church, I really don't care how you treat me. I want to see how you treat each other. Because that's who I'm going to be if I go to your church five weeks from now. So uh, they're looking for authenticity. Look, look at verse uh, uh, 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king of supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. Verse 15. So is the will of God. With well-doing you may put signs to ignorance of foolish men. Look at verse 17. Here, here's the conclusion. Here's how to relate to the society around you. In four pithy statements. Here it is. Honor all men. So what should your relationship be with the culture around you? Respectful. So Pastor Chapel used the great illustration of, you know, don't avoid the booth with the two lesbian ladies there. But I would take it a step further. Go give them a cup of coffee. I sat next to a man on an airplane. This has been some time ago, maybe a year ago. I had my, opened my Bible. And very soon in the conversation, I found out this, he, was a, he was an active homosexual and was a, was a, was a trumpeting homosexual. Like, I'm, this is my lifestyle, and I'm proud of it. And You know, I just backed off, and we talked. I asked him about his family. I asked him about his upbringing. He never said a thing to him. He knew what I believed. We got off the plane. We walked down the, the, the jetway. He's walking away. Now we're friends. He's walking away. I called him. I, I had a sense. This is the last time I'm ever going to see this guy. I gave him a track. I talked all that stuff. Last time, I said, hey, hey. He stopped. I went over. I said, listen, it's been a joy to meet you. Thank you for talking to me. I said, give me a hug. I gave him a hug. and I just squeezed him. Thank you. Listen, we can respect people. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. That doesn't mean just love Baptists. Love fellow believers. Fear God. Live with a daily sense of the presence of God in your life and respect him. And honor the king. Have a right relationship with your civil leaders and awake America and done a great job with that. Listen, there is a way to positively and unsinfully engage the culture around you. A couple other passages. I'm out of time. A couple other passages. 1 Peter 2, Acts 17. Pastor Chapel preached that on uh, Monday night. And, uh, the, the, the end of that passage, you know, when the Apostle Paul had been brought to Mars Hill, and now he's not preaching in a synagogue. He's not preaching the way you and I would preach behind a pulpit with a Bible, but he is discoursing, asking and receiving questions, understanding a little bit about the Epicurean philosophy, knowing something about Stoicism, Understanding what their poets have said. Understanding a little bit about what culture has taught. Being able to engage them. Hey, finding the right starting point. They don't believe in the Bible, so he, did, he didn't start with the authenticity of the Word of God. They don't believe that. He started with the fact, hey, we agree that God, there's a God. We agree that God created, okay? Now let me tell you about the, that God and the God. And he went right to Christ, like we should always make a beeline for Christ. Acts 17 Titus chapter 1, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith. Paul said, I know something about their culture. And so therefore, work this way with them, because this is the way they react and respond culturally. Many other passages. Of course, the life of Jesus himself. I have so much to say. All right, here are my takeaways. I'm going to read them. Two minutes. Pastor Skelly, what do I do? 
Number one, be well-grounded. Commit to preaching Bible messages. Answer the question, author, audience. Find out what's happening in the cultural, the cultural, historical setting of the passage. Find the way that there was application to that culture. Think your way into the lives of your people. Make the Bible speak for itself. The Bible is relevant. Be well-grounded. Number two, be well-read. The Apostle Paul quoted the poet in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He quoted Epimenides in Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. Some believe he quoted Menander in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. He quoted Eratus in Acts chapter 17. He knew what the philosophies were. He knew what people were saying. He knew what the society was touting. And he was able to deal with it from the word of God. Be well grounded. Be well read. Be gracious. I just said that. About that man I met on the plane. Be gracious. Be gracious to people. Respect people. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you through a reason of the hope that's in you. With meekness, that means with, 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 uh, with, with meekness. In other words, not haughtily, not like you know better. You're confident in what you believe and why you believe it. And when people are confident in what they believe and why they believe it, they don't have to shout. They don't have to trumpet. They can just... Lovingly and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, in meekness and respect and fear. So when you deal with people that are not from a Christian culture that don't understand your mindset, hey, listen, listen. Seek to understand. Don't be full of yourself. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Be respectful. A number three. Be well-grounded, be well-read, be gracious. Be honest about the idols of your own heart. One of the best ways to endear yourself to people that are outside of the Christian sphere is to be honest about the idols of your own heart. Because we, we, have, we have success syndrome. And we struggle with sins of the flesh. And we struggle in, in areas that, and we have to understand, we're not perfect. And in, within our culture, Within our church culture, there's toxicity and sometimes an overemphasis on things that, that we shouldn't have, like the Pharisees. And sometimes we have to find our center. And so be willing to admit the idols of your own heart. Enjoy your culture in so far that you can. Enjoy your culture. Hey, I'm glad I'm an American. I'm glad Golden State won the other night. I mean, I'm glad, I, I enjoy elements of my culture and there's nothing wrong with that. And insofar that I can do that and that's neutral, that's going to be a connectivity that I have with a lost and dying world that so desperately needs the part of culture that they don't understand and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, enjoy the culture insofar that you can. You see that little uh, YouTube video of the girl who's totally deaf? I mean, I see that. She's totally deaf and she sings the song, she can sing the song, plays the guitar, sings the song. How many have seen that? Okay? I can't believe it. I can't believe you watched that. American Idol? I mean, come on. I can't believe that. That song, I don't know, that, that song is probably some rock song, huh? You see, can we just be real? We're just being authentic. I'm not endorsing the song. I'm not endorsing American idolatry. What I'm saying is I'm really glad this deaf girl overcame. That's a good thing. Can we rejoice in so far that we can rejoice? 
Sometimes we're just so rigid on every little thing and we want to nuance every little thing that we're relevant to everybody. It's okay, it's okay. Uh, number, number next, stay gospel focused. Stay gospel focused. You can't save people and you can't sanctify people. The goal is not to change culture. The goal is to reach people for Christ. The Holy Spirit changes their life. Culture changes as people change. So stay, stay gospel focused. And then lastly, be ready for criticism. You're going to engage the culture. Be ready. It's okay. They criticize Jesus. You're eating with publicans and sinners. We don't do it that way. You're a compromiser. Can't believe that. Your disciples don't wash their hands. You're reaping corn on the Sabbath day. Who do you think you are? Be ready for it. It's okay. It's okay. Listen, people that are well-grounded and confident in the Lord aren't worried about that. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Hey, guys, let's be real, let's love God, let's know the Bible, and let's engage our culture in every good and godly way. Our Father, thank you for giving us just a few moments. Forgive me for being a little bit discombobulated. Lord, uh, I asked you just to help me say the things I should, so I trust that that you did. Lord, bless us as we uh, seek in our own individual ministries to understand our own specific culture and to make the most of it for the cause of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.